0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us first this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. It's Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022, and today on the roundup, we're going to be covering and answering the following three questions What countries are poised to send more students abroad? Second, why does USCIS's new mission statement matter? And third, how should US universities be recruiting internationally? We'll take a look at these three questions and more on today's SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. As we do each week, we take our news stories that we bring together in the form of these questions uh, from our newsletter that comes out Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern. If you're not already subscribed to the newsletter called All the SMIE News Fit to Share, that stands for Social Media and International Education News. We bring you at least five social media stories and 10 to 15 to 20, sometimes 30 uh, international education stories that we compile each week in this newsletter format. And we take the themes, some of the core themes from that uh, newsletter, and cover the in-depth here on the roundup on Wednesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Eastern. So uh, if you haven't already subscribed, I'm dropping a link to the most recent edition of this week's newsletter as well as uh, the the subscribe page on our SMIE Consulting web page. That's smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. So let's get started with our first question of the day. First up, what countries are poised to send more students abroad? Uh, and this is an interesting one, and one that you will find a number of answers. Uh, we've covered in, the, in recent days. We've covered information from uh, other reports from ICEF, from other other sources. Holon uh, IQ is a, a recent addition that is uh, predicting which markets are going to become up and are future centers or increased centers of students abroad. And I say this in the broader context of. Uh, Global student mobility, not just U.S.-bound student mobility, and it gets very some some audiences get very tetchy when it comes to data uh, for, for for a lot of different reasons because they they, they find there's contradictory data in their own uh, own countries that supports different conclusions uh, that uh, the historical data doesn't really necessarily support that, and maybe some some uh, prognosticators are getting a little bit too keen on certain markets. Uh, but there's always data. Data is uh, is is good to have. Uh, knowing whether it's accurate data is, uh, is another thing entirely. But uh, we're going to be taking a look today at a report uh, and a webinar that uh, i been making the rounds in the last couple of weeks uh, from Western Union. Uh, they had an interesting Pi News webinar sponsored uh, last week uh, that touched on. Uh, some of the, their key findings uh, worked had I think one or two university reps, one in China, uh, one uh, that might be US, US focused and UK focused. Uh, so we we take, uh, we take what they where they say here and because it is primarily future looking uh, with, um, with some interest because obviously anytime you have uh, folks that are taking a look at your industry and, and what it might what forces might be shaping it in the, in the years to come. Uh, you see, uh, looking at what's happening in, uh, in some of the key outbound markets, uh, you see some of those demographic trends, you see some of the youth population numbers, and we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago when we were looking at some ISIF and Holon uh, IQ reports. Uh, what we see uh, from the top four uh, U- English-speaking destinations, Canada, U.S., U.K., and Australia, Uh, that um, for Canada, uh, this report suggests Indian students are going to continue to rise uh, from 151,000 in 2019 to 195,000 in 2025, so um, a a uh, 4.4% CAGR, I'm not quite sure what that is, uh, but my Canadian friends will, I'm sure, chime in with that response. Uh, For U.S., uh, Chinese students are expected to capture an extra 1.3% of the market share of inbound students uh, by 2025 compared to 2019. So everybody's kind of looking at pre-pandemic and and three-year-out data in this report. For the U.K., now this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Uh, despite Brexit, and the report says 85,000 more international students expected to study in the UK by 2025, taking the total from 557 in 2019 to 642. And we've already heard um, that as of 2022, the numbers were already at 600,000. So that's an additional 42,000 increase in uh, the next uh, three years. Uh, there's also some data further down the chain here about India that uh, reflects some data that doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to match uh, what the actual numbers already are uh, for, for Indian students in the United, in the United Kingdom. Uh, so there's some, uh, inter- one of my colleagues in the over, across the pond is suggesting that uh, the folks who uh, compiled this report were operating in a dark room uh, without real context and uh, uh, data, data to really uh, match, match the findings. Uh, that already exist, so uh, they might have been ac- operating in a vacuum and just going on their own numbers. So interesting to see where this comes from uh, if you do a little bit uh, of a deeper dive into it, and we'll we'll certainly take the time to do that. Uh, Australia is looking to uh, uh, looking to grow again, obviously with their doors reopened uh, to uh, international students as of this. Uh, past December. Uh, we now see Nepal uh, should overtake both Malaysia and Vietnam to enter Australia's top three inbound markets behind China and India. So uh, interesting growth uh, in, those, in those markets, Nepal uh, obviously uh, being one of the ones that is probably already on most U.S. colleges' radar, uh, for good or bad, uh, depending on uh, the kinds of students you might have been getting in the past. But overall, if you look at some of the macro trends that the report uh, uh, does cover, and not necessarily country-specific ones, uh, they see uh, by 2025 uh, that uh, there will be 1.34 million Chinese students leaving uh, to study abroad versus 1.1 in 2019. That's a 4% uh, cumulative aggregate. Gross, uh, something CAGR. <laughs> we'll get the definition of that soon. I'm so, I'm hoping. Uh, we look at um, 79% of growth in international students from 2019 to 2025 should come from Asian countries. No surprise there. Um, that uh, the, where the largest percentage growth will come from. Uh, that uh, you look at some other markets. Germany uh, should record. Uh, uh, other markets, uh, I should say all ROW destination markets, not sure what that one is either, but uh, suggests that Germany uh, and others should record a 40% market share versus 35% uh, in 2019. So we'll see what these look like more in depth, but there's certainly some interesting interesting data to be, sh- to be sure. Uh, one of the charts uh, that they have here that is uh, rather interesting, if you look at it a little bit um more closely, it shows uh, some uh, real interesting uh, looks at uh, looks at some of the macro trends uh, in over some uh, in some key markets. For example, uh, China and India obviously make up uh, in terms of bigger biggest sending countries abroad. Uh, You see China and India certainly uh, reflecting the largest numbers, uh, raw numbers, of uh, students going abroad. We see China, uh, as of um, uh, the forecast data through 2025, increasing uh, to 1.343 million. uh, And India at 619,000, so China's basically doubling up India as the next as the two largest senders. Uh, but that's with significant growth from India. I mean, just looking at those numbers from 2015 to 2025, that decade of growth, five years of, of data we have versus uh, five years of uh, predictive data, they're anticipating uh, in that 10 year span from 2015, Indian students studying abroad was about 257,000 students. And they're uh, expecting that to more than double in the next. Uh, five years uh, over the over that ten year span, I should say, so up to six hundred nineteen thousand. So China uh, nominal growth uh, certainly growth significant growth. Uh, we're not going to say nominal uh, from eight hundred eighteen thousand in twenty fifteen to one point three four in twenty twenty five predicted. So that's a five hundred thousand uh, increase. So about forty percent now sixty percent growth there. Uh, so but not not as nearly as at the pace uh, of India. But uh, interesting to see. Uh, That currently, or as of five years ago, uh, we were seven years ago now, we were looking at um, Germany as the number three uh, country at 117,000. They're predicting them to have just nominal growth by 2025 to 119,000. Vietnam, however, jumping up from 11th in 2015 of 68,000 up to 164,000, so more than doubling there as well in that 10 year span. So we'll see where it goes here. I think there's uh, some of this data here is, uh, is particularly uh, not quite sure and I'd have to uh, dig a lot, quite a bit deeper. It says that they're getting their data from Australia, Australian Trade and Investment Company, HESA for the UK, IIE for the US, UNESCO, Oxford e- Economics, and Western Union Business Solutions from December 2021. So interesting where that data is coming from, but uh, you see some interesting, uh, interesting things here. Uh, that China, as an overall share of the outbound student market, is going to reach uh, 28.8% uh, in that uh, by t- in in the next three years. So it's uh, it's it's on 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 path on on a path to uh, continue to, to dominate as it has in most countries, um, most Western countries, uh, the UK, Australia, US, they're anywhere from uh, 30 to 40% of the enrolled international students in those countries. So um, no no surprise that they're gonna continue to dominate on the outbound side with just some, uh, with some 1.4 or 4% growth in the next three or four years. Uh, so there's actually a fairly, for, for the first, maybe half of the report. Uh, We see some decent data in here from UNESCO and some other things that do look at uh, where uh, what what some of the economic variables that they're taking in to forecast uh, these international Mm -hmm. student flows. Uh, I'm not taking this as a gospel. I'm just putting it out there as one other uh, set of data that you might want to have a look at. Maybe it'll have some data on some countries that you aren't already considering, and it might be worth your you're worth a deeper look if you haven't already uh, gotten uh, some interesting, interesting. Uh, if you haven't already gotten some student flows from these countries, there may be ones where you, you start exploring a little bit more what that might look like for you. So that's what we have from uh, the first story, what countries are poised to send more students abroad, uh, Vietnam, Nepal, uh and India and China are obviously going to continue to send uh, significant numbers abroad. Uh, that's no no surprise there. And some, some of the f- uh, countries further down the chain, uh, Saudi Arabia, obviously, we've seen a big drop off since 2015, uh, but there's a potential chance of a resurgence that we don't necessarily see captured in this Western Union data. So we'll look at what uh, what's to come uh, with that. Uh, some of that data uh, is... It certainly doesn't match some of the historical data we have in the U.S. and U.K. Uh, and current data even. So we'll we'll look at that with a little bit more of a fine tooth comb moving forward for sure. But uh, always a good topic to revisit every so often uh, in terms of what are some of the new and up up and coming markets, but also some of those current markets that are poised to grow even bigger. And that's uh, certainly something you want to know and be prepared to uh, make the case for or against why you want to go. Uh, recruiting in certain, certain areas, uh, certain parts of the world, certain major markets. Uh, we're, we'll take a look at that uh, on a regular basis here on the Roundup because that's the kind of information that uh, you, you need. You need to know where the, what the data is out there and what's uh, in terms of predictive models for uh, some of the up-and-coming markets, and we'll be sure to keep you posted on those. Moving on to our next question and it is one that uh, for those that have been around uh, and survived the Trump era of international education and the great resignation uh, that we've also experienced in the last two years of the pandemic uh, we are seeing uh, some significant changes a lot of them symbolic but a lot of them very concrete ones like reversing the Muslim travel bans and all the other um, uh, proposals that were floated by the Trump administration like ending the DS status uh, getting rid of that policy, that proposal, uh, some uh, changes to H one B, turning that back to the traditional lottery instead of salary based, uh, and some other ones uh, that we've seen happen over the last uh, few months. But uh, one of the ones that really, for most of us in the field, uh, that kind of was a, a was a real poke in the eye, uh, frankly. I, feel, I guess it's a kind way to put it. Uh, was the Trump administration's decision to change Uh, the mission statement of USCIS, uh, that um, before the Trump administration came along, uh, that uh, the immigrant, formerly INS, uh, what became U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, had the phrase uh, nation of immigrants as part of its mission statement uh, of who the U.S. was, Uh, that the Trump, Trump changes in February of 2018, uh, this is from a CNN politics article, uh, tor- took a more hardline approach with a statement that emph- emphasized safeguarding its integrity and securing the homeland and really not showing any welcome mat whatsoever uh, for, uh, for, for giving hope to immigrants and international students and other uh, visitors to the United States that we were a welcoming destination. Uh, And certainly no surprise to anyone who's worked in international ed uh, as to what the response was to that. Uh, The American Immigration Lawyers Association at the time called it an insidious attempt by the Trump administration to diminish the valuable contributions that immigrants have made to the United States. No no doubt uh, that would be the case uh, from our perspective too in international education. So uh, what you have seen uh, the uh, the change has been made to uh, to under the Biden administration the agency is now taking a different approach using words like welcome and respect as well as shortening the length of the statement which was quite quite wordy and. Uh, The new mission statement uh, reads as follows, USCIS upholds America's promise as a nation of welcome and possibility with fairness, integrity, and respect for all we serve. And I think that that really speaks to the heart of who America is uh, and who we want to be. It's it's aspirational, too. We're coming out of a period of two years of pandemic and four years of a of a previous administration that was anything but those things, uh, welcoming and um, respect for all and possibilities and fairness and all of these things. So when it comes to um, immigrants and international education certainly had, uh, has suffered quite a bit. And to have this new mission statement reflect what we in international education truly believe in our hearts is why we do what we do and why we want to promote our institutions to students abroad uh, to come here and study and be on our campuses and experience uh, American culture and what this country has to offer and to experience the range of cultures that are already here and that have made up uh, th- this country and made it uh, into the incredible op- land of opportunity it has always been. and. As an immigrant uh, who came to the U.S. Uh, at age five, I uh, was an L2, an in, in, uh, intra-company transfer dependent. Um, when my dad's company transferred him from London to uh, St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up. And our family came here. Why did we come? I've had this conversation many times over the years with my dad. It's, it was up for a better opportunity for his family. Uh, for us, and to uh, ha- come to a country that allowed uh, his sons and his daughter to pursue whatever educational dreams they chose, uh, that uh, and to do so uh, where we wanted, when we wanted, and in whatever field we wanted to study, and he would support us, he, my mother supported us throughout all of it, and uh, that is what we would all hope for, and um, that out of our country that we love, um, Sometimes we don't like it so much, but we still love our country at its heart. And I think this mission statement reflects the true heart of America. Uh, and when I when I talk about this this topic a lot, and well, it's just a mission statement. People ask, "Well, why would you come spend 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 that time on it?" And it's sometimes these kind of symbolic um, gestures have significant res- resonance, uh, both in positive and negative ways. Uh, they were certainly negative uh, and s- symbolic in, 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 in terms of how, when the Trump administration made that change away from a nation of immigrants to uh, strengthening the homeland, uh, that it's, uh, it takes it, it, that, her- that affects people, uh, affects people's impressions of, uh, of your country. Uh, of uh, people who might want to come here it affects their impressions of the country well do they really want us there mm-hmm. uh, and yes they're just words they are words on a page but words matter and how we talk about ourselves uh, has changed uh, in in the last few years uh, as a country and going through the different um, uh, different administrations and uh, their uh, very different perspectives these administ- last two administrations have had on uh those from outside uh, who want to be here uh, and want to have a piece of the American pie and what that means. Um, so these these things matter. And in terms of getting rid of, uh, stop using the term illegal aliens and aliens in general. I just seems uh, seems quite outdated and uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense and uh, really just disenfranchises people and makes them uh, into less something less than human and that's certainly not something that we're about in international education at all Um, we uh, want to provide every student that uh, comes to our countries uh, comes to our colleges uh, the opportunities to make the most of their their time here uh, whether it's for semester on exchange or whether it's for a full degree that leads to work. That leads to another degree. That leads to maybe permanent residency and citizenship someday. Those dreams are possible here. And when you have a when you have an administration that uh, whose words are out there and are, and are backed up by actions. And I think over the past year or so, we when uh, of the of the Biden administration, we've seen actions follow from their words. In some cases, more than others. Uh, there's some areas that are still on the international ed side that and uh, we hope that they get there before the, before they uh, leave office, uh, that they have an opportunity to develop an international education strategy at the national level. Uh, that's that would be that's, that's a dream for most all of us uh, in international education uh, to finally see concrete steps uh, or the fact that they're even talking about it, it hadn't happened for 20 years, uh, but now it's. Um, we're at a point now where uh, we hope that some uh, more concrete steps get put in place to make uh, an internationalized strategy happen for this country, because it hap- it is happening in every other major destination market, and they have uh, not only national edu- international education policies at the national level; they have uh, they have supportive policies that open the doors and are open uh, that are constructive. Uh, um, Ways of uh, getting action, action steps made by the government, uh, the, the the stakeholders in higher education, in English language training, in other industries connected to international education, can uh, in in these other countries have direct con- contact with the decision makers, and they listen, and that they have a seat at the table. And that, that, that really matters. And advisory committees are all well and good, and those have happened in the past and uh, might be. And certainly, we saw the Homeland Security one restarted recently. Uh, we hope that continues, but there's not necessarily um, something that we can all say definitively yes, we're moving in the, in uh, in a concrete direction toward an international ed strategy. We're not there yet, and it may be years before we get there, but let's start having that conversation those very real conversations that we need to. To move our country in the right direction when it comes to uh, competing with our peers because that's uh, that's uh, the the global marketplace for international students has not gotten less competitive it's gotten more crowded. Uh, Our share of the pie has shrunk from 30 percent 25 years ago to around 20 percent now. Uh, Our numbers have continued to go up uh, with the pandemic exceptions uh, that um, We will still be, we'll be back over a million students in the next year or so, uh, and continue in our upward trajectory, but we can't uh, assume we're gonna get there on our own, on our own merits. Uh, we need government to support us and help us get there and to have policies that make it easier for students to come here and to stay here, That the serious students, the funded students that, can, that have from institutional or personal sources their own ability to pay their bills. We need the support for, in order to make that happen, policies that make that happen. And supportive policies once they're here as well uh, in terms of work, post-study work, we always talk about that and certainly the STEM OPT uh, expansion of majors uh, is a big plus and uh, will continue to be uh, but there there's some obvious there's always going to be things that could be improved we talk about adding health related majors uh, into more of the STEM fields uh, surprising that there's they're scientific uh, why aren't those uh, uh, biology and hard, hard sciences and uh, are, are not too distant cousins from the health sciences so why aren't they health sciences included in stem that's a very very important conversation I think that needs to happen. Uh, and to continue the uh, positive imp- impression post-study work uh, has for, for international students coming to the U.S. Uh, and, and, and certainly making F-1 dual intent, we've talked about that before. That's something that the, uh, NAFSA's uh, recommendations have, have been leading up to that. Uh, the Biden administration hasn't proposed anything yet with that language in bills, but that might not be in this, in this first term. Uh, if, if they get a second term, who knows? Um, but there's certainly a lot that uh, we're starting to see uh, words put in place uh, that matter uh, and signify a change in direction, positive changes in direction for international education and ones that we can certainly use. And this is the, this is the, this is the important thing. When this, these kinds of positive changes happen, What's wrong with sending a quick message out to your database and say, hey, your stu- prospective students and parents and say, hey, our country, we may have, we've may had our, our, our share, of, uh, share of troubles in the past, recent past, but our country recognizes your value uh, to us and that we are upholding our promise as a nation of, wel- that, of welcome and possibility with fairness, integrity, and respect for all we serve. Send a message out to your prospective student audiences that announces this change and lets them know that, hey, we're back. And uh, we're sorry for some of the things that might have been said and done in the past, but we're back and we want you here. And uh, we're, our government's stepping up and showing that they want you here too. So let's make that happen. Uh, and it's a, it's a quick, it doesn't have to be anything long and thought out, but put it out on your social, put it out in a, a quick email out to your database of uh, changes on the U.S. government front that are, are welcome ones for prospective international students and their parents. Can't hurt. So that's question two. Let's finish up today with question three, and it's a meaty one. It's a it's a meaty one, but that we're not going to go too overboard with it. Uh, it is it is a I E A week in international education world, and many of my colleagues are are busy in New Orleans, uh, getting together and reconnecting uh, for the first time in a couple of years for AIEA colleagues, uh, getting together and uh, uh, with conference presentations and all the, all the associated events surrounding those conferences, and I certainly wish you all uh, nothing but the best uh, for your time in New Orleans this week. But let's talk about this question: How you should U.S. universities be recruiting internationally? And the this theme is actually comes out of an AI recent or um, recently released uh, 22, 2022 must read uh, AIE's handbook of international education uh, that uh, AIE just just released in the last couple of weeks. It's um, second edition of this book. Uh, and it is uh, available. Uh, Folks at INTED have done a nice uh, three quick takeaways that I'll touch on here. Uh, It's certainly one that I think um, there are a lot of great publications. NAFSA certainly has a great range of publications for international education. But uh, this one is is particularly strong, and again, it's an AIEA publication, Handbook of International Education, and uh, I'll be covering here the three takeaways that the IntEd folks have identified from this book. That are takeaways for student recruitment. Uh, the first takeaway is the U.S. remains a strong preference for students globally, but the competition is tightening. Just what we were talking about earlier. It's a it's an increasingly competitive marketplace for international student interest. So. Uh, that we are a strong preference, so, but our tuition is re- is reliably high, um, financial aid is reliably low, uh, and the road to finding in-country work after graduation is difficult. This is from the from the Inted folks. Not necessarily true elsewhere, where tuition is often lower and the path to employment clearer. So many headwinds for the United States in this respect. Uh, Germany, uh, for example, uh, higher education, national priority, government is keen to use institutions to train employable person, personnel in science, engineering, and health-related programs. Uh, this, is, uh, this is from the Inted article again. As an extension, Germany makes it relatively easy for international students to stay and work after they graduate, so much so that over 80% of international applicants to German universities are motivated by in-country career prospects further a growing number of the country's graduate level programs are now offering offered in english making germany that much more interesting to prospective Anglophile, anglophone students and tuition is uh is is important there too cuz uh, i've had colleagues at other uh, uk universities talking about uh uh, how Germany's uh, their tuition prices are so much lower. Uh, certainly for EU and non-EU students, EU students get in basically for free. They just pay for their housing, uh, maybe a small fee. But uh, non-EU students, their fees are, are very low in comparison to what uh, UK, Australia, Canada, Australia, uh, Canada, the US charge. Uh, so uh, in the UK, so what we see uh, that's uh, that we're, we 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 are expensive in the US. And we've got to show quality and outcomes for what we charge. And uh, compared to other countries that might not have great, as great of reputations, but making pathways much smoother and uh, to, that lead to work uh, a, lot, a lot easier to access. So let's take some, some cues from some of these countries that are doing it right. Uh, So we'll take a look at that. Uh, Second up, uh, second takeaway from the INTED folks from the AIEA report. uh, Commission-based agents are now business as usual for many universities. And this is true. Uh, It is one thing that is probably the greatest change in international education over the last 15 years has been the adoption, uh, accelerated adoption of working with educational commission-based agents as part of recruitment strategies. Uh, where back in the 90s it was probably mid-90s, maybe a third uh, of uh, US institutions would admit to using agents. Uh, but now it's uh, easily half are, are fully engaging with the university or with agents over, overseas and more are considering it. Uh, the lions share are probably considering it in one way or, or another outside the, the most elite of our institutions. So uh, we've been playing the catch-up game uh, when it comes to working with agents. And we're, a lot of, uh, lot of institutions have, frankly, uh, tried and failed uh, with agents because they over-invested in one country or uh, decided to go sign every agent under the sun and Uh, reap some very uh, unintended consequences as a result of that. Um, How you manage agents matters as much as the decision to use them in the first place. Uh, It's one thing to just go ahead and say, oh, we're going to start using agents in places that we're we're not traveling to, and let's face it, nobody's traveled anywhere the last couple of years up until the last couple of months, uh, international recruitment-wise. And having boots on the ground matters, uh, and having people who can uh, connect with students where you can't uh, and have the conversations locally that uh, you're not able to have, uh, that makes a difference too. So uh, the third takeaway is diversity is a long game for international recruitment. And we've talked about this many times about how you plan uh, your recruitment and how much time, money, and capital you're investing in, in certain markets. Uh, because if you're already 40% Chinese, do you really need to be taking four, two extra trips there every year over above over and above what you're already doing? Or can you redirect some of those resources into some more uh, up-and-coming markets uh, in other other areas of the world that you don't have representation from yet in as significant numbers. So diversity is one of those ones that will never be... Uh, never not be uh, important and, uh, and certainly on any campus that I'm working with I always make that 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 case is you got to diversify you can't put all your uh, agent eggs in one basket and all your country focus in one country uh, in terms of where you're recruiting students because that will just lead to uh, significant challenges down the road uh, if you just go uh, where the students are and just start, if you know you got a good pipeline in one country you're just gonna ride that for all you can and milk it for all you can uh, that can have uh, significant, negative impacts uh, on your campus culture and your international student culture. So uh, some very important lessons uh, to be learned and good, excellent takeaways as as defined from the uh, Inted folks. So kudos to them for bringing them up. That's all we have for you this week on the Midweek Roundup. I appreciate you all sticking with us uh, through this, and uh, we're looking forward to continuing conversations with you in the weeks and months to come. So until next time, have a great day.